We're going to be in John chapter 21 this morning, not 1 Peter. John chapter 21, uh, verses 1 through 19. I'm so thankful for Clay preaching last week in my absence, and I'm just so thankful for the people of this church in general. If you've not been here before, or if you have been here before, you see some changes here. People have been working uh, to make the, uh, the sanctuary here uh, better, making improvements to the church, working hard, and I appreciate that. I, I really do. People coming in in their own time to use the skills and talents that God has given them to make the place where we worship a beautiful and inviting place. But in this, my first sermon to you in this new year, I feel like it's important that certain things be focused on in the new year. The new year is important. It's, it's a new start in a certain way as to what we're going to do in the year. And I want to speak to you today about the love of Christ Jesus. And this is a powerful passage. To me, it's the most important passage in the Bible related to Jesus calling upon us to love him. And what that means. <clears throat> so, John chapter 21, uh, verses 1 through 19 is what we're going to read. Please stand to honor the Lord this morning as we read his word. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cain, I'm sorry, <laughs> Yes, that's right. Um, son of Zebedee and the two others of the disciples were together. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish that uh, that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although <clears throat> there were so many, the net was not torn, and Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, so with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these and he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. 
And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you were, you were used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and will carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. So I read the whole context of this to give context to what's happening here. I love the stories in the Gospels. They're real stories. The guys, Jesus has died, resurrected, but he's, he's mysteriously not present with them. He has appeared to them twice, but he's not with them all the time. So, so what do they go do? They go back to what they did before. They go back to fishing. That's what they were. They were fishermen. So they're out fishing. They must not have been very good fishermen because most of these stories are about them not catching anything unless Jesus is involved. But uh, they don't catch anything. And Jesus calls to them from the shore. And they're only about 100 yards out. And if you've ever fished much in a boat, you don't catch a big catch 100 yards off the shore. You've got to go out into deep water to catch large fish. But he says, throw the net in on the right side. And they have this huge haul of fish. And John realizes that it's Jesus. He says, it is the Lord. And Peter, in his zeal to see Jesus, puts his clothes on and dives in and swims to the shore in, in characteristic Peter style. And Jesus makes them breakfast out of some of the fish that they had just brought in. And they're sitting there sort of in awe of Jesus. And then Jesus begins this questioning of Peter. It's important that we realize just a few chapters before that, Jesus, that Peter had denied Jesus three times, vehemently denied him, cursing and swearing that he never knew who this man was and he had no part with him. And now Jesus, by this fire, asks him three times, do you love me, Peter? And the third time he asked it, he's grieved because he fully understands what is happening. It's an central and all-important question. Jesus could have asked Peter so many things after this point in time of of all kinds of of how are we going to put the pieces back together here, Peter? Like, our relationship is really on the rocks here. Like, you've just denied me vehemently. How do we get back to a place of relationship and fellowship with one another? But there's really only one question that matters, and this is that question. Do you really love me? Because if you love Christ Jesus, everything else will fall into place. If you earnestly love him from the heart, the other steps and progression will work its way out. But if you have no earnest love for Jesus Christ, your heart is dead towards the Lord, and nothing else will work its way out. And so this is the central question, not only for Peter, but for all of us. And he asked this in light of what he just said some time previously in his ministry where he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said clearly, the greatest commandment is that we ought to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So this is the command, that you love the Lord. Well, now Jesus has proven his divinity. He has come back from the dead. He has resurrected. He is the Lord. And so Peter, sitting on this beach, has the Lord sitting in front of him, looks him right in the eye and says, do you love me? Now that is, it doesn't get any more real than that. Jesus sitting in front of you and asking you the most important question about the greatest commandment, do you love me? And there's nowhere to hide at that point. You're just sitting there in front of him, all things laid bare. And Peter's right. When he says yes, 
He's authentic, but he, he follows it with, you already know the answer to this. You know my heart. You know that I love you. You can't lie to the Lord. He knows the nature of your heart. And so Peter says, yes, I love you. You know that I love you. And so if Jesus already knows this, why is he asking Peter this? It's because of emphasis. It's because of clarification. It's for the sake of redemption in the life of Peter. And he asked us this, and I'm asking you this this morning, so that you might have introspection in your life, that you might have emphasis on this, that you might clarify this point. If there is some sin between you and the Lord, that you might confess it and you might have restoration of fellowship between you and the Lord Jesus, because he knows your heart. But what is all important to this is how do we define this? Do you love Jesus? The word love is probably the most used, the most poorly defined, and, and just it's, it's a word that can mean almost anything to people these days. So we have to go to the scriptures to define our language. What is Jesus talking about? When he asks Peter, do you love me, what is he talking about? It is my understanding from the scriptures that the most important part of this definition of do you love the Lord is has Jesus captured the affections and the direction of your heart? Has Jesus captured the affections and the direction of your heart? Every single one of you in here love something, that you have a, a desire to seek after something. In defining this love, the first part of this definition relates to pathos. Pathos is an old word, and it has to do with emotions, the emotional state of your being. A pathos, or without pathos, means to be without emotion. This is where our word apathetic comes from. An apathetic person is an emotionless person. Their soul is dead towards something. They have apathy. Apathy won't cut it. There are some of you in here that just straight out hate God. You have, a, you have a beef with God. You're angry with God for something that he did to you that you don't believe is fair. But there are many others of you here that are simply apathetic towards God. You just have no real emotional care about God. Your heart is just in a state of neutrality toward God. And I want you to see this morning that that won't do. If Jesus looked at you and said, do you love me? And you just say, I'm not sure. That won't work. That is an answer. That is a no answer. A person that is agnostic towards the things of God, still questioning, I think I'll come back and hear this again. I'm not really sure about these things. That is not a love for Christ. That is a, an agnostic, apathetic attitude towards God. The materialist who truly, if they're honest with themselves, loves the things of this world, and loves what they can gather in this world, what they can amass in this world, and they want more of this world, not the, the next world. They're not looking to eternal life. They're not interested in the kingdom of God. They're interested in what they can amass in this world. You cannot look at Christ Jesus in the face and say, yes, I love you, when you know in your heart you really love the things of this world. Or the pure academic the person that pokes and prods at Jesus like a science experiment and reads about him and, and learns about him but says, you know, that's, that's fascinating. That's really, really interesting. But there is no connection in the heart towards the Lord. 
all of these things lack the emotional connection, the pathos toward God that Jesus is asking Peter about. Do you love me? In general, emotional connection in a relationship comes from intentional time spent together with another person. When we have relationships that are meaningful to us, people that we love in our life, we rearrange our schedule and we make ourselves available to them. We desire to be where they are and to spend time with them. It is impossible to declare that you love someone if you choose to not engage in relationship with them. If you are intentionally avoiding someone, you cannot honestly say that you love that person. Peter's life, up until the point of his stumbling and denial, was one that was rearranged to follow Jesus. Jesus early on said these same words to him, follow me, and he did rearranged everything and followed after Jesus that he might be around Jesus and hear his preaching and teaching, be at the table with him, ask him questions, be involved with his life and near to where he was that he might pray and eat and spend time with Jesus. It's the same with Paul. Paul is always longing to be with Christ. He writes about it all the time. And he wants to be with other Christian people, other people that love Jesus. He wants to be with those people. And this is the heart of a Christian. A Christian wants to be near Jesus. They want to hear his words. They want to pray to him. They want to be where he is and where his people are. And this is a heart that loves the Lord. The love of Christ begins with repentance and faith. If you say this morning, I don't love Christ and I don't understand how to love Christ, the gospel message begins with repentance. Repentance is turning away from this world, saying, I understand that the things of God and the things of this world are antithetical to each other and I want to turn away from the things of this world. They have been empty to me. They've given me nothing. There are so many millions of people in this world doing all kinds of bizarre things, trying to find meaning in life because they realize that their soul is empty and they don't have any meaning. And they're looking for meaning. And they might go buy a new mountain bike or change jobs or, I don't know, go jump out of an airplane or something that maybe it'll teach me meaning. I'm gonna volunteer more, I'm gonna do things. These can be good things and have a place, but they will never give you meaning. Meaning comes from having a relationship with God that you were intended to have. And we have to turn away from the things of this world and earnestly believe the words of Christ Jesus and who he said he was and what he was doing in this world. And this beginning continues in an interpersonal relationship. I'm not talking to you today about a system of religion. I'm talking to you about an interpersonal relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Communicating to God by prayer, being communicated from him by the scriptures. We're gonna talk about this in a minute. Through the ministry of God's Holy Spirit. By prayer, by Bible study, by worship, by the gathered church, by many other things, we enter into a personal relationship with Jesus our Lord. The next thing we're going to talk about is obedience. But before we go there, I want you to understand that if Jesus sat down there with Peter and looked at Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter started to rattle off things that he had done for Jesus, that, that wouldn't be a sufficient answer. If you look at your spouse or your child and they, and they ask you, do you love me? And you just start to tell them things that you have done for them. It's not the same answer. 
There has to be a heart that loves that person, an emotional connection with that person first, and then from that come things that we do for that person because we love that person. And so the second part of our expression of love to Christ Jesus is to obey him. First is the pathos of emotional connection, and then there is obedience. After the affection of our hearts is turned towards Jesus, for the sake of love, we will obey him. Our actions will agree with our words. John writes about this often in his letters in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. is a beautiful statement. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Isn't that beautiful? The, the world sees the commands of God as a great burden, an onerous thing that we must take up and do, like paying taxes. And when we get done doing the things that God would have us to do, maybe we'll have some time to do the things that we would like to do. But a true Christian loves the things of God and sees that they are good ways. And they long to walk in those ways and eventually can never get enough of the good things of God. And they find that walking in God's ways are beautiful and they are not burdensome. And this is the obedience of Christ Jesus. It is exemplified to us in the parent-child relationship. The desire of a parent for their child to love them. And that is a good thing. But it is not enough for a child to say, yes, I love you. But then go and rebel against all the things that the parent asks them to do. If a child says, yes, I love you, but then does nothing that you ask them to do, there's a disconnect in that relationship. Because the child doesn't yet understand that the parent is there for their good. And the parent is an umbrella of authority that's helping to guide and to direct their life. And when a child truly comes in to love their parent, they will come under the authority of that parent and be blessed by living under the authority of that parent. It is not by happenstance that God declares that he is our father and we are like adopted children to him because the relationship between us and God the Father is very similar in these ways. That God would have us to love him and we are to declare our love for him and it is to be from the heart but it is to be followed with actions of obedience that are in line with the words that we are saying. And so Peter has a change of heart. He says, yes, Lord, I love you. It is a true statement from the heart, and we're going to see that he goes out in his life in the book of Acts and no longer denies the Lord. He learns a very important lesson and is strengthened by God to go live in a very, very different way. There are different commands that are given to us. We're going to see again here in the moment that the command that Jesus gives to Peter, and it's a command that's given to him as an apostle. But there is a common moral path for all Christians. And the life of obedience for Christians is directed toward obeying Jesus Christ. We have a heart that is turned towards him, and we have actions that are turned towards him, so that our heart, emotion, and the actions and words of our life agree that when we are asked, do we love the Lord Jesus, our heart and our life agree together, yes, we love the Lord Jesus. The other direction is a heart that loves this world and a heart that seeks after this world. And those two things drive each other out. They cannot exist together. 
The watershed question is whether we love the Lord Jesus. That's why this question is so important. A watershed is an interesting geographic feature. If you've ever been over the Continental Divide and the Rockies, there's a big sign there. You go way up this peak, and if you Google map it, it looks like this. A watershed is when a rain cloud goes over that divide, and it rains some rain on one side of this mountain and some rain on the other side of that mountain. Well, the rain that's on the eastern side of that mountain